And uh, I want to read to you from Daniel chapter, excuse me, from Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And I appreciate the, uh, the video team and Sister Andrea and Sister Becky and, and waiting until I just sent it today because, again, this was a late decision and I felt that I should go in this direction. All right, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion besieging him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come into my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man also, rather, a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way as thou hast believed, and so it be unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Praise God. I want to focus your attention to verse 11, which says, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All right? Praise God. I want to talk to you tonight about uh, the question of uh, will we recognize our friends and loved ones in heaven? Will we recognize them? Hallelujah. And we're going to use some scriptural examples and, and we'll lay a strong foundation for that. By all means, this is not an exhaustive analysis uh, to answer the question, but I think we'll give some uh, scriptures enough that it will give you a good idea uh, of, of what to think and how to view the subject. All right, Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you show us things to come, that you show us what it's going to be like in heaven through your word. And many things that will be there are not yet revealed. Some things are secret. Some things you reserve for us as a surprise. Some things will be just for those who show up because of their faithfulness. And you will tell us all the secrets of eternity that unfold before us, whereby we can give you praise from one moment to the next, all the way throughout life everlasting. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and help us, O oh Lord, to have a little deeper understanding of how it will be when we get to heaven in relationship with our loved ones and other friends. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so uh, there's, there's, let's just put this right up front. There's no specific scripture that states that you're going to see and know everybody when you get to heaven or that you will recognize. But like with many other subjects and many other things, uh, we are given scriptures by which using our deductive reasoning, we can... Uh, arrive at an accurate conclusion based on what we know, okay? Um, 
and so, so I will list a few examples of these scriptures which establishes the fact that we will indeed be recognized by name, by appearance, and by personal identity after death. And that's scriptural. And uh, so I began with uh, one of the uh, oldest examples of uh, somebody coming from the dead and being recognized for, for who they are. Uh, and that was, of course, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, when Saul, at the end of his reign, uh, is on one of the last days of his life on earth, and, and he's disappointed because he's been seeking God for an answer. And God wouldn't answer him either by the umim or the thumim. He wouldn't answer him by visions or dreams or by prophets. And of course, we know why, because he already knew the answer to his question, but he wouldn't take the advice and the answer that, that God gave him in the first time. And it's an answer that he confessed himself that he knew three times already. So why is he asking God the same thing again if he's not going to do what God tells him to do? And so God was silent. So finally, Saul, in his desperation, as God had turned away from him, turns to something that he knows is totally, absolutely wrong, and that is to seek out a witch. And he seeks out a witch at Endor, that village of Endor. And he hides himself and does not show himself to be the king uh, because a while back, years ago, he uh, declared an edict that all the witches and wizards should be put to death, and that's Mosaic Law. That's the way it was. And he cleaned up the land to a certain extent. And now uh, he, he said, you know, find me a witch. Find me somebody with a familiar spirit. And they did, and they went to the witch of Endor, and he hides himself, disguises himself, and, uh, and, and he, he, he came with the, re with the request that, that she would bring up Samuel from the dead. And so she indeed uh, does her thing, and uh, uh, verse 12, it says, When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Samuel, to Saul rather, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto him, I saw God's ascending out of the earth. That's small g, God's. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. Now understand, it wasn't the witch that called up this you know, prophet. Uh, because she herself was surprised when Samuel showed up. Okay? She screamed, ah! He came up for real. You know, she was ready to take his money. She was a charlatan, you know, and she, she could say whatever she wanted to to, uh, to deceive this guy. She didn't know he was the king, but she saw Samuel come up. And, uh, and, and it wasn't that she brought him up except as for God sending him. God can do that. God can raise from there. God can take a, the, the soul of an individual that's departed and bring him back for a specific purpose. And we see that right here. And we shall see that in another place in the New Testament. But in any case, uh, so, so uh, she saw this vision and then, of course, uh, he bowed himself to the ground because he knew Samuel was there. And then Samuel seems to communicate directly with Saul. And Samuel said to Saul, that's verse 15 of chapter 28, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? 
And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him, the king, as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thy hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Now that's the fourth time that God tells him, and, and now again, Saul hears the same answer. That the kingdom is no longer yours. It belongs to David. Take off that crown, swallow your proud pride, and give the power and the reign to the next king whom God has chosen, a man after his own heart, King David. And all he would have had to done is take the crown off his head and give it to David, and it would have saved his life, he would have saved his son's lives, and he would have lived happily ever after, kind of. But he didn't. And verse 18, Saul continues, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Hallelujah. That's why God's not answering you. He keeps telling you, kept telling you time and time again what you ought to do, and you're not doing it. Hallelujah. And I'm speaking to somebody today. How many times does God have to speak to you before you do what God asks you to do? How long will it be before you do according to his commandments? How long before you repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost? How long before you walk the line of holiness? How long before you start paying your tithes unto the Lord? How long? And so Saul hears all this. Verse 19 Samuel continues, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me, means in the grave and dead. And the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel unto the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straight away all along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. Notice, this man of God, this prophet of God, prophesied from the dead. There's so many things that we can, we can conclude just from this endeavor alone. But the fact is that this prophet coming back was recognized by this witch and also by Saul. There was no mistake of who was communicating with him. And it wasn't because of the witch. It was because of God's mercy. Sending Saul one more time, sorry, Samuel one more time to Saul. Amen. That's the very first example we see in the Old Testament of somebody coming back, God sending back somebody from beyond the grave. And so when we look at uh, uh, Matthew chapter 8 uh, in the New Testament, we're, we're looking at uh, a, a Roman centurion. The, you know, he's a Gentile, and he is a symbol of, of everything that Israel hates. He is representing an occupation force that made Judea a province of the Roman Empire. And this man has a problem. He's got a servant who's sick, and he heard that Jesus is a healer. 
And he came and, and, and rather sent a messenger to, to, to uh, Jesus asking for him to intervene. And of course, this man said, look, uh, I, I'm not worthy to have you come to my place, but I know what authority is all about. And I have people as an officer, I can tell them what to do and they'll do it. And they say, I'll tell them come and they'll come. And when I order them to go, they will go because they're under authority. And I know I have that authority. And I recognize this heavenly authority in you, O oh Lord. So you don't have to come to where I am. All you got to do is give the command. And I know my servant will be healed. Jesus slaps his hands together and says, man, I have not seen so great a faith known down in all of Israel. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says Israel uh, because at this point, as Israel really doesn't in, exist as a political entity, Israel's already ceased. This is not just Judea, just a remnant of the 12 tribes. And yet Jesus is speaking about the entire nation of Israel as a people who are scattered throughout the world as well by now. And, uh, and so he's speaking about uh, his, his children, the children of Abraham. And he's, he's talking about them that, that, that there will be many that will be coming from the east and the west to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they'll be recognizable. They'll be identifiable by name. Notice Jesus doesn't call them by some other name. Now they've been dead almost 2,000 years. And yet, in God's presence, they're still alive. Moses is still alive. The prophets are still alive. Samuel is still alive. And many of our loved ones who've departed already and who've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, who lived a holy life before God, those that have gone on before us, they're alive in the presence of the Lord. And if we shall be faithful, we shall see them again, and they will be recognizable, even as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a great thought. What a great comfort that is. But Jesus is saying this uh, in, in, in awe of, of this Gentile. Uh, and, and in this, this, this exchange uh, of thoughts uh, between uh, the, the Roman centurion and Jesus, we get this, 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 this fact that, that, that we will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they're named by name, and that we all coming from the east and the west shall recognize them. Now, when you look at this scripture in the New Living Translation, chapter 8, excuse me, yeah, chapter 8, verse 10 through 12, and I didn't send this to you. I don't know if you can do that, Sister Kayla, but anyway, in the New Living Translation, it says this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I'll tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world. That's, that's why he said in the King James, east and the west, meaning east goes far, far. There's no end to east and no end to west. It's just going around the globe. It's from all around the globe. Many Gentiles will come. It says that the many Gentiles will come from all over the world and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this, this was revolutionary uh, for, for the Jewish people that heard this. Because you see, again, he's talking about a Gentile. And as far as the Jewish nation was concerned, the Gentiles will have no part with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
The Gentiles will be separated and cut off. We are the special. We are the chosen people of God, not them. And yet here Jesus is elevating the faith of this Gentile. And not just him, but many others like him who in the future tense will have faith in Christ and will come to newborn experience and revelation of who this one God is. The, and, and the Gentiles who recognize Jesus for who he is as the one God, mighty God in flesh. And those Jews who did not recognize him and willfully rejected him will be cast out of the kingdom while the Gentiles and those that recognize him and believe on him will be entered into the kingdom and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. Now, one of the things we see right away from this, from this story uh, is, is that when we look at heaven, we see that heaven is going to be a place where, where we all sit down. <laughs> you think you're sitting here. Wait till we get to heaven. Praise God. It's going to be a place where you sit down. In other words, there'll be a place of rest. How about you? I like standing, but not a whole lot. There comes a time after my time is done, I got to sit down. Especially when I go shopping. <laughs> Hallelujah. My wife can shop for hours. She doesn't do that much. She's done, honestly. But she goes on her own now, you know, and, uh, and she has pity on me and says, Stay home, I'm going to go tweak, and I'm going to go shopping, hallelujah, and I'm going to stay and relax, so I'd rather go bookstore. And you heard the story before. Uh, I was in, in the St. Clair Mall years ago, and she was shopping around, and I stood in one place, the bookstore. I was there for two hours where she was around, and two hours later, she found me at the same spot, and I was still looking at books, standing on my feet. And can you believe it, Brother Scott? It didn't hurt my feet one bit standing there. But if I was going around sort of just to shop and look at stuff, I would have been hurt in the first half hour. I'll be complaining and moaning and grabbing, oh, my feet are, oh, I got to sit down, you know. But get me interested in the book, and I'll stand there for hours. Hallelujah. But in heaven, we're going to be sitting down. It's a place of rest. And uh, so, in, in fact, in Luke twenty-two twenty-eight, we read, Yea, uh, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation, as Jesus talking, speaking to his disciples when they were arguing about who's going to be gracious in heaven. He says, and I appointed to you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's talking to these apostles. I have plans for you. Just as I'm going to sit with my father, you're going to sit with me. And you're going to sit at my table. And that's really a promise unto all of us. Now, yes, they were apostles, but lest you think it was just to that 12, I would point you to Revelation chapter 3.21. Revelation 3.21, and to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and I'm set down with my father in the throne. Now, it's going to be a mighty crowded throne. Amen. With all the people saved. But that's what he's talking about. He said, we're all going to be together, sitting together in fellowship and in communion. As you know, uh, it's talking about a feast uh, as well uh, and uh, it, about eating. And, and Luke 22 says that in verse 30, we read that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. We sit at his table. It's a place of rest. But that, you know, when you break bread, as, as we're told in Acts chapter 2, Going from house to house, it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic representation of, of fellowship. 
and heart-to-heart communion. It's enjoying one another's presence and comfort and peace and security and in recognition of each other for who we are. Recognizing us recognizing Jesus and him recognizing us and all the others that we have known and those we have not known, only by known by name. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will get to know them. Hallelujah. And they will be recognizable by name and appearance, as also we will be. Why would only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have names in heaven and not us? Why do the angels have names in heaven but not us? I'll get to that. We will. That's the point. So it's a place for many people, and it's a, a place with many people from all over the earth, Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ. Praise the Lord. So now that we look at another example, we look at uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 33. And here we're given a record of Jesus' transfiguration on a mountain. And uh, all three Gospels record this, that Moses and Elijah also appeared with Jesus. And, uh, and we're told that Peter, James, and John all recognized Moses and Elijah by name and by appearance. And even in their glorified state and their form. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 28. I'll read to you from there. Um, And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that that he took Peter and John and James and went up in the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance, that's Jesus, was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, it was Elijah, who appeared in glory... And spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem, meaning the crucifixion. But Peter and they that were with them were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, all of a sudden, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. But they recognized, it was verse 33 says, And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. See my point? Elijah lived about 700 years before this. Moses lived about 1,500 years. And, of course, there's so much to this event in itself. Uh, Jesus foreshadowing or showing his, his glorious resurrection after his death, that there's life after death. And here, Jesus is at the center point uniting uh, both the Old and the New Testament. Here, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets, amen, are represented in these two men. But they were recognized by name even in their glorified state. They weren't called by some other name. They were who they were. And 1,500 years after Moses died, he was still Moses. And 700 plus years after Elijah died, he was still Elijah. And 2,000 years after Abraham lived and died, he was still Abraham. So we'll be recognized by who we were here, by name. Praise the name of the Lord. And then we, we look at... Uh, uh, Luke chapter uh, 16, and uh, this is beginning with verse 19. Uh, This is the story that Jesus told about uh, a rich man and uh, Lazarus, a beggar who sat at his gate, 
with great sickness and uh, he was poor. Verse 19 says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, plural, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Notice even from hell, before that final separation, he could see up. He recognized Abraham and he recognized Lazarus. In the afterlife, we will be able to recognize one another. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, that'll preach. Son, what's a son doing in hell? You know, first, first Peter 4 says, If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Why is there five foolish and five wise virgins? How come only 50% make it representing the church? Son, you know, some have argued that somebody may be a sinner, they may be doing wrong, but if they're, they were born again at one point, you know, they're still a son. They're still a relationship. And they have brought, in fact, uh, the example of the, of the story of the previous chapter. Don't, I'm coming back to this, okay? So I'm still on son, okay? When Abraham says, son, and he's looking down, at this man, this rich man in hell, who's a son of Abraham. But we see in chapter 15 of the prodigal, many say, well, you know, the prodigal son was a prodigal, but he was still a son. Well, that's true. But as far as the father was concerned, he was a dead son. And he, in fact, he saw that he comes back to him, uh, and he said, verse 24, the father saying, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Now, you know the story that he took his, his inheritance and he spent it and wasted his substance of righteous living. Chapter 15, verse 13. Spent it all. Joined himself to a, as a, as a, to a citizen of a far country. And he sent him in his fields to, to feed swine. And he was so hungry. I mean, he was deprived. And finally, verse 17, it says, and when he came to himself. You know, you may be a son, but if you're living in rebellion, you're a dead son. And in order to become alive again, alive again to God and be again a child of God, alive to righteousness, you've got to go through the process of restoration. That's exactly what happened to this man, to this son who was dead. 
First, he came to himself. There's a lot of backsliders out there that need to come back to God. But before they can come back to the Father, they're going to have to come to themselves and recognize who they are, where they went wrong, and confess it instead of just pride themselves on their error. Unfortunately, they have to come to a certain place of deprivation before they can have that realization. And the father didn't have pity on him, go get him out of his mess and pull him out of the, out of the, uh, the pig pen to get him reconciled. But he waited until he came to himself, verse 17. And, uh, and he said, how many hired servants have my fathers have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Hallelujah. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. He made confession. He repented. He made things right with the father. And when he made right, made things right with the father, then the father, hallelujah, not only hugged him and kissed him, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. There's got to be a change in your garments. There's got to be a change from your sinful garments to your garments of righteousness. And he put it on him, he says, put a ring on his, on his hand, authority, shoes on his feet, changing the way that he walked. And the places that he went, no longer be walking among pigs in and, and the far country, but on his father's land. And yielded to his father's will and wishes. And bring, he said, hither the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So. You know, thank God for the prodigal who came back and he found love and favor and he was restored to his sonship. And he came to himself and he did what he needed to do and to make things right with the father. Hallelujah. And so in, in, in this, this story we see uh, in chapter 16 now, back to Luke 16, and Abraham says, son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Look at that word, son, remember. It means he had his memory. He could think back on the way he lived. He could have regrets. He could have sorrow. Because of what he did or did not do. He remembered Lazarus by name. And certainly Abraham knew all about this rich man's lifestyle. That was also evident. So in the afterlife, there is a recognition and a remembrance of a lot of things. We will remember a lot of things. And there's other things that we will not. That's not my subject tonight. Praise the Lord. Uh, son, remember 
that thou in thy days and lifetime received thy good things. Hallelujah. So there's remembrance, there's memory, and we have again name recognition and identity and things that we have done or not done in the past. And then I want to bring your attention to uh, another story in uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 34 through 38. It's also mentioned in Matthew chapter 22, 29, chapter 22, verse 29. I'm going to look at the version of chapter 20 of Luke, verse 34, chapter 20 of uh, Luke. You, see, you know, the Sadducees came to him with a, with a question, and uh, Jesus answers the question about whether or not a married woman will still be considered the wife of her husband in heaven. And uh, if so, if she was the wife of multiple husbands, husbands who all died, then whose wife will she be in heaven? See, it brings up a conundrum of, of ideas and questions. Uh, and so Jesus straightens out their philosophy by telling them that marriage is only meant to be experienced in this temporal life here on earth. And thus the relationship of marriage ceases here on, by death. When you die, your marriage relationship ceases. And furthermore, the, the terms husband or wife and even male or female will cease to exist in the world to come in the afterlife. Galatians 3.20, for there's neither Jew or Gentile, nor, nor, nor male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And then, well, let me just re read from, from Luke 20 what he says about us and what we shall become. Verse 34 of Luke 20, Jesus answered and said unto them, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, that's the new world, heaven, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. In other words, they're equal unto the angels. I'll get back to that in a moment, and that's important. Now, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush, when he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Of course, that portion of the answer and that statement addresses the Sadducees' uh, uh, question about the resurrection because they didn't believe in a resurrection. <laughs> and so he's challenging them on their philosophy and their theology by pointing to this fact on Moses, you know, calling Abraham, God being the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they were alive, not dead. And truly, we see Jesus affirm that uh, they're very much alive in his presence. But with respect to marriage, uh, it, it ceases once we're here. But when we get to heaven, we'll be equal to the angels. We'll be just like them. In fact, uh, I guess maybe Matthew, I, I will look at that for a moment anyway, because the way Matthew states it, uh, is perhaps more clear. Matthew chapter 22. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. And he says this, uh, Jesus answered him, you do err, not knowing the scriptures and the power of God. 
For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. As the angels of God. So we are going to be just like the angels. Our glorified, resurrected bodies will be as the angels. And you'll find that angels have always, in biblical uh, record, have always manifest themselves in the male form. Male. There's never been a female angel represented or, or, or recorded in Scripture, Old or New Testament. But there is neither male nor female. Okay? There's neither male nor female. We don't know what form our body will be, but we will be able to still recognize one another as we're glorified because we're going to be like the angels. Praise God. And so uh, there will be no marriage in heaven as our marriage relationship ceases here on earth. And yet we will still be recognizable as the angels are identified and recognized by their name and appearance. Let's remember there is a fallen angel named Lucifer who we now know as Satan. His name hasn't changed. In other words, he's an angel. He's got a name. In fact, he's got several names. He was Lucifer. He became Satan. Then we have, uh, we have Gabriel, the heralding angel. His name hasn't changed through the ages. Michael, the warring angel. angel. He, his name hasn't changed. And so if we shall be as the angels, you and I are going to keep our names throughout eternity. And we might have a different appearance because of our glorification of our bodies. And we'll be recognizable to each other by name and by past experiences. Thank God. But it all seems that, again, all angels have names. And even the demons, the fallen angels... They themselves have names uh, as, and a few that we see in the Bible. In fact, um, we shall recognize Satan and see him in the pit. When you look at Isaiah chapter 14, I didn't give you the scripture, Sister Kayla. Amen. Isaiah 14, uh, verse 15 and 16, uh, after uh, Isaiah declares how Lucifer fell from heaven. After the five I wills, I will ascend above the throne of the Most High. I will establish my throne on the side of the congregation of the Lord. I will be like the Most High God. And so then in verse uh, uh, 15, the scripture says in response, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, that they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee. Or size you up, look at you, and consider you, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms? When he says narrowly look upon thee, it means squint. We're going to do that to, to get a good look. Now, in a glorified state, I don't know if we're going to be able to, you know, we need to really squint. Well, it looks like some of, our, some of our habits we do down here, where it's just perhaps just describing. Uh, the, the moment that we all get a glimpse of Satan and he's disposed of finally for eternity and look at the man who's been causing all the trouble for us for thousands of years. And we'll look at him and say, this is the man, quote, unquote. This is the person that caused all this mess. We, I, we made him up to be so big. We made him up almost to be equal to God. 
opposite of God. And he was nothing like it. He was just a little pipsqueak, hunkering in the corner on the sides of the pit. Did God put him down there? We're going to squint, try to get, to get a look at him. He was small, so small. But yet we're going to see him and recognize him for who he is. So yes, there's quite a bit that we shall know and we shall uh, recognize many things and many others. Now, one of the last things that I want to bring to your attention, one of the last examples is found in Mark chapter 5. And it's where Jesus uh, delivers that man of Gadara from demonic possession. Uh, in chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, that's Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit and had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice, saying and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of the Most High God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, that was in response to what Jesus said, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And so Jesus, he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, he obviously had a name, but he's using this in 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 cover for all the other demons that were with him. And this word legion, as you know, is using a Roman concept from that period of time. A legion is is basically, depending on the period of time of Roman history, could be anywhere from two thousand to five thousand soldiers. So at the very minimum, this man had 2,000 demons in him. And that's why this devil said, hey, there's more than me, Jesus. There's thousands of us. So just might as well call us legion. There's a legion of us in here. And, of course, they didn't want him to send him out of the country. There's a lot of pigs in that area, a lot of... A lot of sinners, and, and, and they begged them, look, don't, don't let us, uh, uh, don't, don't cast us away someplace else. And the Bible says that, uh, that there was a herd of swine feeding them. All the devils besought them, saying, send us into the swine. They may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And unclean spirits, plural, went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000. So there's at least a minimum of 2,000 demons and 2,000 pigs. And the pigs were choked in the sea. So many ways we can look at this and we can preach so many things, right? 2,000 demons couldn't make this man to destroy himself. But one demon and one pig that doesn't have any resilience, any resistance, instantly perished. It also shows the, the human 
depravity and capacity for demons to put up with all that. But the Bible said, he said, what is his name? What's your name? So my name is Legion. And if, and if that group maybe had one name, I would submit to you tonight that each and every one of those demons, those fallen angels, each had a name. I would submit to you tonight that it's not only Lucifer and Gabriel and Michael that have names in heaven, but every angel has one, just like every one of us on the earth do. And when we get to heaven, we shall see you, each one of us, who make it there, and we will recognize each other for who we were, what our past relationship was, and we will be able to recognize each other. Shall we stand? Hallelujah. So my point is, that if we're going to be as the angels of heaven, as Jesus said, then we will still retain our names, our identities, and our memories, and some of our appearance also. We'll be able to recognize each other in the afterlife. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul said, For we now see through a glass darkly, a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. We're going to know each other. We're going to know each other. You won't be forgotten. But I'll tell you who will be forgotten is those who end up far from the grace of God in hell. From there, you are forgotten. Forgotten by your relatives, forgotten by God. And there's no way out. That's the greatest tragedy. Nobody to seek after you. Nobody to call you. Nobody to visit you. Nobody for eternity. Folks, this is serious business. This is serious business. But I'm so glad that he knows us and we will know each other. Praise God. I want to go there, don't you? I want to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to sit down with Moses and Elijah and all the prophets of, of old. I want to sit down with Jesus in his throne. And I want to rejoice indeed among the blood-washed throne. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, let's lift our hand and worship her for a moment. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We magnify your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready to meet Jesus? If you got some things to make right, don't tarry, don't delay. Make it right with God tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't let your pride, your pride get the best of you. Hallelujah. Confess it to the Lord. Come to the Father. Amen. Confess and make it right. Thank you, Jesus. Come to your senses.